0: church Sunday night, we'll have a few refreshments and a cake, and we'll celebrate our assistant pastor's birthday, uh, and we are thankful for that. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 1. If you'll give me permission, which I'm going to do it even if you don't, but if you'll give me permission, I'm going to deviate from uh, the little series we've been doing about the seven uh, weapons that we have against the enemy, and over the last week there, this verse has been just resonating in my mind And I just said, you know what, let's break it down Let, Let's go through it, I like what it is Psalms chapter 1 And we're going to read that, that chapter And then, even though it is very simple It makes sense You don't have to be real smart To know that what the book of Psalms chapter 1 says It's there But still, it's fun to exegete it out and to kind of watch as that chapter unfolds verse by verse. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall also not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But that's not in the Bible, where I said, but that's the change. The ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff, chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly should perish. I, I was looking through my notes, and I didn't have notes for a sermon I've preached. There are times that that maybe my notes were in my Bible. Sometimes I try to, you know, write down something very, uh, you know, structured. Sometimes I don't accomplish that. So there's sermons I've preached that I don't really have record of. But I remember preaching a sermon about the the mountain of blessing and the mountain of cursing. And uh, I was thinking about that today. Hold on, I'm trying to get my notes in order. Sister Buford, I left a pack of papers on my desk. Would you please go get it for me? Hallelujah. I, uh, sorry about that. I, I am missing part of my notes, and I need them. But uh, the mountain of blessing and cursing. I do that just so you don't have your faith. You know, the Bible says don't put your faith in men. and I, So I, I don't want you all to think I'm perfect. So every once in a while I purposely make mistakes so that, that I make sure you, your eyes are fixated on Jesus. But the mountain of blessing and cursing. Jesus came. Thank you so much. Jesus came and, uh, or, or rather, I'm, I'm sorry. See, ugh, let's refocus. Let me get my mind back right. It's all good. Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness. They got the law. They got the word of God. And now they stand ready to go into the promised land. At that moment, God puts two mountains. He said, this is a mountain of cursing. This is a mountain of blessing. No semblance really in in the mountains. He just wanted to show a divide. And he goes through it. And, And if you do this these are the blessings of God that will come. If you don't follow the word of God, these are the curses that will follow. The, you and I, as Holy Ghost-filled believers of Jesus' name, we don't believe in karma. All right? That is an a, a Eastern mindset. That, but, but karma says this, what, comes, what, what goes around, comes around. And and I know I'm not giving it justice to the teachings that they teach. I know it's a lot deeper than that, but that's what it is in a nutshell. And there's a lot of people in this world that operate, even if they're not mystic, even if they're not Eastern religious types, we still operate in the karma. Let me do enough good and good things will happen I won't do a lot of bad, that way bad things don't happen. That's not exactly how it works. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so all you have to do is live through life to realize that sometimes you can do everything right and the flat tire still happens. You can do everything right and the roof leaks. You can do everything So we don't operate in that. But it is absolutely imperative for you and I to understand that God blesses those that follow Him. And there is a a curse, if you will, not some warlock uh, uh, magical curse and hex. But if you don't walk with God, there is a separation from the protection of God. And if the bad things are going to happen anyway... I'd rather the flat tire happen when Jesus is in the car with me than me far away from Jesus. I may still blow out a fender. I may still have a leak in a roof. I may still uh, have a a sickness, but at least I've got Jesus to lean on. It was Job that said, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether he, he gives, he takes away, I still bless him. I know I'm in the midst of people that have been able to say, even in the dark times, I've been blessed by God. You have to understand that, and so I don't, I mean, I know it's the Lord, but I begin to to think about this. Uh, You go through the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, all of those blessings. It would probably be a great study, and I'm not going to do all of the blessing verses in the Bible. We're going to fixate only on Psalms, but it would probably be a great study for you and I to figure out all of the places that God said, do this and you'll be blessed, and then write that down as a list and say, you know what, this is a good path to follow. But Psalms chapter 1, the psalmist wrote, and it's David, the psalmist wrote this, and I really like what it is. And I'm going to pull from a a study guide that I found by a David uh, Guziak. And, and I liked how he, he put it out, and so I want to, to use uh, some of his study to, to help me flesh this out. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That word blessed could also say happy is the man. Happy is the one that does these things. All of us, and and there's songs about it, you know it. There's a lot of people that look for happiness in the wrong places. There's people that look for happiness in a bottle. There's people that look for happiness in a job. There's people who look for happiness in a relationship. There's people who look for happiness in schooling. There's a multitude, a myriad of ways that we seek to be content, blessed, and happy. But the Lord, through the writings of the psalm, and they're all inspired by God, the psalmist said, let me just set the record straight, blessed is the man. It's a Hebrew word, or at least the root of it is "esher," which is the idea of happiness or contentment. And I I think it was this year I preached about learning to be content in whatever we have. Blessed is the man that is right with God. The word blessed means to be fulfilled. Have you ever ate something and, and it didn't quite satisfy your hunger? And so you ate it, but you were not filled. There's a lot of people in this life that in their spirit, because that's the central, the soul and the spirit, that's the central part of you and I. There's a lot of people that have consumed the things of the world, and they're not all bad. You can consume uh, your job. You You can partake of a relationship. You can partake of a, a hobby, you can partake of sins and addictions, and there's a lot of people that have consumed, but they're not fulfilled, they're still hungry, that's why the Bible says those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled, so it is the blessing, now notice that that it does not say, I know it says blessed is the man, but we know this, that, 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 that when Usually the male pronoun in the Word of God Most of the time it is an is a all-encompassing pronoun of the human race Okay, So this is not just men. ladies listen up But notice it doesn't say blessed are the rich It doesn't say blessed are the smart It doesn't even say blessed are the poor It doesn't say blessed are uh, any of that None of those are there But it said blessed is the man The human. Meaning that this this contentment can be obtained by anyone that wants it. Rich, poor, black, white, male, female, young, old, uh, 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 smart, not so smart. It can be obtained by there. There's three things that the Bible says a blessed man doesn't do. They don't walk not, nor do they stand nor do they sit, and and it was it was David Guziak that helped me understand that a little bit better. He mentioned it this way, and I'm also going to pull from Spurgeon. There's several quotes from Spurgeon that I liked uh, concerning this, but but David said that that David Guziak, he, he said that when you look at those walk, you know, don't walk this way, uh, don't stand this way, don't sit this way. It's thinking, behaving, and belonging. The righteous man and the ungodly are different in the way they think, in the way they behave, and the way they belong. And so another one said, another person says it shows the progression of sin, that that, that it's a progression. Clark, which I think is a commentator, if if I could get it all right, he said that a great lesson is to be learned that, that, that this sin is progressive. One evil act, one evil propensity leads to another. Watch this. He that has bad counsel, he that thinks badly, if you will, pretty soon they do the evil deeds. And if you keep doing the evil deeds, so first you think, as a man thinketh, so is he. So everything operates, everything starts in how you think. That's why the Bible says, gird the loins of your mind. But but thinking leads to doing and acting and pretty soon the acting progresses to one who just abandons himself to to the enemy and says whatever a reprobate mind if you will so let's let's break this down so so the first thing that a blessed man is is one that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly meaning they don't pull their counsel from those, the righteous men said, I'm not going to even walk in it. I'm not going to take it. There's a lot of advice that comes. There's dear Abby in the paper. I think she's still there. At least her daughter does it now. There's there's Facebook commentators. So everybody's so smart when they get on social media. They have all the answers. There's there, you, you, you can. Uh, I listen to to the radio, the the sports radio, and there's, you know, one that says, if you'll follow my plan, I'll have you flipping houses. You'll make thousands of dollars every month if you flip this house. All you have to do is send me $100 and I'll give you a six-step program. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of counsel. But if a righteous man is ever going to understand how to stay away from counsel, the first thing that has to happen is how you discern the counsel of the godly versus the ungodly. This is where a lot of people fail. A lot of people can't discern. They, they, they don't even consider, is this godly or ungodly? When it comes to decisions you're going to make, they, you, you can hear advice. You can hear theories about your problems. And, 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 and we get sucked into it because it sounds good. It, it's it, it just, oh, that makes perfect sense. And you never question. You never say, Lord, is this godly? Are ungodly. A blessed man says, Lord, direct my path. Order my steps. I'm just, you know, if someone says, you know, you, 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 uh, especially with relationships. A lot of people have advice on relationships. Just to give you the worst possible example you got people and I've had it I've, I've heard them tell it me well we're going we're gonna to move in together pastor none of y'all but we're going to move in together pastor we're going to try this out before we commit you know I, I, we test drive a car let's test drive a relationship that's ungodly counsel the world likes it the world thinks it's okay and even the law of the land says it's okay but at the end of the day that's ungodly counsel if your financial advisor looks at you and says, you know what, you could get a whole lot more money if you'd stop giving to the church. If you'd stop you know, paying your tithes, it's ungodly counsel. But it goes so much farther than that. When is the last time you were going to make a decision and you stopped for a moment and said, Lord, help me with this decision. Direct me with this decision. That's how it is. The righteous man also understands that that ungodly counsel Many times it's not somebody else talking, but your own self talking. You ever had yourself give you bad advice? You ever had that flesh, that carnal flesh, give you a bad path to follow? We have preached about it and I'm going to continue to preach about it until Jesus comes back. But one of the ways that a man and a woman is blessed is when they learn to discern the voice of the flesh from the voice of the Creator. Lord, it's not my will, but thine be done. The righteous man knows where to find godly counsel. I believe it was one of the Psalms that said, your testimonies are my delight and my counselor. Now, I'm thankful for every one of you that that come to me as your pastor and say, Pastor, I've got a question. I've 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 got a situation. If you've been around me long enough, you know I'm going to take you back to the Bible. Because first and foremost is the Word of God. Word of God. I know you know it, but just help me out. There's no other answer than the Word of God. If I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach from the Word of God. If I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach from the Word of God. If I'm going to counsel or or give you advice, I'm going to come from the Word of God. And a godly counselor, and I'm not using that in the in the legal form. There's, there's my dad. He's a legal counselor. Brother Titus Tubb is a legal counselor. I'm not talking about the legal form. I'm just talking about someone that gives advice. But a godly counselor is one who goes to the Word. But watch this. He says, so, so first off, you've got to make sure you follow the right voice. That's the one that says he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's, that's the mind and the decisions that you make. The second thing a a, a man a blessed man does is he does not stand in the path of the sinner. Sinners have a path that they stand. Sinners have a place, and you and I, we need to understand there are some paths we don't belong on. I've used the illustration, and I, I don't have it in front of me, so hopefully my mind and my memory lets me, but... It talks about, uh, you know, a man, he's he's walking down the street, and it's dark, and he falls into a big hole. He gets out of the hole, and then he he says, I'm going to try this again. So he goes down the street, and this time he's going to try to go around the hole, but he slips and falls in that hole. And then the other one says, I'm going to go down the street, but I'm going to try to put a plank over it, and he still falls in the hole. A smart man says, I'm not going to go down that street. There's a problem there. There's a path that you and I ought not travel. That's why uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 says, You enter in the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many that go in by it. The righteous are not afraid to take a road less traveled. The righteous are not afraid to take a stand. The righteous are not afraid to say, This is what the word of the Lord says, and I'm going to follow it, whether I'm the only one or not. That's a righteous man. That's a blessed man. Psalm 16, 11 says, You show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can I just tell you, God has a path. Order my steps. And then... So we're not going to walk in the counseling of the God. We're not going to stand in the path of sinner. And we're not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. The scornful love to sit. They love to criticize the people of God and the things of God. But a righteous man, a righteous woman won't sit in that seat. It's easy to jump on the bandwagon when something happens and let those criticisms fly. It's easy to to get a part of that, but a righteous man says, "I'm not going to go there." I, I I Spurgeon said it this way, and and Spurgeon was in the in the early, I think, 1900s, and 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 he he would just a prolific writer wrote devotions. Many of you have probably read the daily devotions of Spurgeon. He he's probably one of the most. He, he I don't know if it was him or staff that he had, but Every one of his sermons, he, he painstakingly transcribed. You can see that. He was in, uh, I think, London, I believe. Or not London. Uh, my mind just went blank. But the Metropolitan Church. But here's what he said. He said, be out and out for Jesus. Unfurl your colors. Never hide them, but nail them to the mask. And say, all to, say, all, say to all who ridicule the saints, if you have any ill words for the followers of Christ, pour them out unto me. But know this, you shall hear whether you like it or not, I love Christ. There's nothing you can say that's going to deter me. There's no criticism you can have of the church that's going to make me stop coming. There's no criticism you can have of the people of God that causes me to get out of here because I want to be blessed. I'm not going to sit in the seat of the scornful. That's what a blessed man doesn't do. But let me show you what a blessed man does. First off, a blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Throughout all of the Psalms, that phrase, the law of the Lord, it, it, it's, it's not just the Pentateuch, it's not just the, the Mosaic law. They write that to do the whole counsel, the entire word of God. A righteous man delights in the word of God. Now, I, I know I'm, you know, sometimes you got to get a little uncomfortable. What makes you excited? That's a good answer, Brother Harvey. Not all of us operate quite like that. I'm doing better, but that Bass Pro catalog comes in the mail and whoo. Huh, my heart starts racing. My skin starts being flush. What? What? And that's okay. But let me ask you this, if personal pleasures are the only thing that makes you happy, then you're walking a selfish road. If being with friends or family delights you, that's better, and that's good, but it still falls short. The righteous man finds his delight in the law of the Lord. Luther, Martin Luther said this, and this is a a great quote. Martin Luther said this, he said, he could not live in paradise without the word of God. But he could live well enough in hell with it. Righteous man does it. Spurgeon said it this way. Man must have a delight, some supreme pleasure. His heart was never meant to be a vacuum. If not filled with the best things, it will be filled with the unworthy and the disappointing. That's what Spurgeon said. You've got to delight in the law of God. Now, watch this. In the next part of that says, in the law he meditates day and night. In Eastern meditation, and I can't do it; I'd break a hip. But you know, you fold your legs up like a pretzel, and you hold your arms out like this, and hum. But you know what they teach you in, in Eastern meditation? Clear your mind. They want to get you until you're thinking of nothing. There's a lot of, uh, and that has permeated through uh, uh, a lot of practices, a lot of, a lot of uh, yoga, uh, a lot of, of. of, of Exercise routine. You know, the whole point, clear your mind. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you get a clear mind, something's going to fill it. So when when, Dave, when, when David, King, King David, the psalmist, when he said meditate on the word, he didn't mean you just get cleared. He said meditate on it. Now, I know this is disgusting, but it works in this. You ever heard the term a cow that chews a cud? Cows have three stomachs, four stomachs, three I think. So here's what a cow does, in case you don't know. Am I wrong? Is it four stomachs? They have four stomachs. Here's what a cow does, in case you didn't know. You see that cow out there in the field and he's eating the grass? He's going to eat that grass. It tastes good. But then later on that day, you're going to find that cow under a tree, and he's still chewing. It's because grass and hay is inherently hard to break down. And if the cow eats it and swallows it and lets it pass through the digestive system, they'll get some nutrients, but they don't get everything that that grass or that hay has to offer. And so what they do is they have a way of taking what's in that first stomach and bringing it back up, and they chew it again. It's disgusting, but it tastes good to them, I guess. The way the Lord made them. And they can do that up to three other times. And what they're doing is they're getting everything they can out of what they've consumed. You and I, we can read the Word of God once. You can do your, your daily bread, your Bible reading, and you can speed through it just so you can check a little note off on your, uh, on your uh, thing. And, and, and it will help you. Any type of the Word will help you. but But just a cursory glance of the Word doesn't do you justice. You need to read the Word and then in the middle of the day, let that Word come back and think about it for a little bit. Meditate on it. Chew the cud, if you will. There's many times that I'll read something, and, and I will go to bed. Last night, I went to bed with this, because this came from when I was a Bible uh, quizzer, Psalms, and, and I, I can quote a lot of the Psalms. It, it's in there. And last night, I went to bed with that verse over and over and over. It was as if somebody was quoting it. Part of it's because I'd memorized it, and I need to memorize more of the Word of God. But meditate on it day and night. You think about it. You apply it to yourself. You pray it back. There's many verses that I pray back to the Lord. You, you chew it. Too many lack because they read the word, but they don't meditate on the word. I, uh, I, I think Spurgeon, again, said this. He said, it's not only reading that does us good, but the soul inwardly feeding and digesting it. Spurgeon said he had a preacher one time tell him that he had read the Bible through 20 times on his knees and had never found the doctrine of election there. He said, I couldn't find it. It's an uncomfortable place. That that man had to sit and write. He, He said, I didn't find once saved, always saved in the Word of God. But if he'd have sat on his easy chair and just turned on the TV and listened to a te- television evangelist and, and done this. Who knows? But that preacher was willing 20 times on his knees praying and reading until the word of God got into his mind, and he said, "This is what I want to follow." The righteous man. Now I'll help you out. I want you to have God's word on your mind just twice a day, okay? Can y'all do that twice a day? Day and night. be honest word. That's the righteous man. The righteous man is blessed. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in its season whose leaf does not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. There's a reason the psalmist said you're going to be a tree planted by the river. If you were planted out in the field the drought could come and maybe it didn't rain and you would, you would wither away but a river is a continual source of water and it's there. You first got to make sure you're planted in the right spot. I'm to be planted, planted. Put those roots down deep. And then it's one that bringeth forth his fruit in its season. Brother Perryman, you touched on this uh, last month several times. But a righteous man, because first they don't walk and talk and act like the world, because they, they're willing to be planted and dig the roots down deep, they have a fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And it comes, but it's also a season. Don't be discouraged if you aren't walking on water quite yet. You got the Holy Ghost last week, but you're not walking on water yet. Don't worry. I just haven't walked on water either. And I'm the pastor. There's a season, a season of maturing. You don't plant an apple tree and, and, and that, that fall you start picking apples. It takes a couple years, but it's okay. You know that tree is growing, you know it's there. It's a season. One man said there's no barren trees in God's archer. says whose leaf does not wither. There's no dryness in a blessed man. There's no signs of death, if you will, in a blessed man. His leaves are green and alive. They're growing. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. Can I go on record to tell you this is not the Christian's version of King Midas' touch? You're not going to touch everything and it turned to gold. But if you walk in the path of God, if you follow after his path, if you seek first the kingdom of God, you'll find that more and more of your plans will prosper. Why? Because you're doing what he told you to do. If God led you there, it's going to happen. If God said, I want you to do this, it will happen. Even in tough circumstances, a blessed man can bring something forth that prospers. But let me tell you what the ungodly are. The ungodly are not so. Meaning that all of those things we just talked about, they don't have. First off, they sit, stand, and walk in the wrong places. But they're also not planted by the, 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 the river. They're also not being productive They're not there. They're not stable. They don't have continual life. They don't have nourishment. They're not fruitful. They're not alive. They're not prosperous. I know sometimes it seems like they are. But I think it's Psalm 71 or 72 that says, you know, I I look at all the prosperity of the wicked and my feet almost well nigh slipped. And he goes through all this sob story about how the world is so much better. And then at the end he says, until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw the righteous said so the, the ungodly are like the chafe the chaff which the wind drives away on a kernel of wheat there's a, a sheaf there's a shell, a very thin papery shell that encompasses each grain of the wheat and you can't eat it and it, it, it's very tough it'll never get soft you can't make bread out of it and so they would they would they would go up to a, a, a either build a platform a little higher than than the ground or they'd go up on a hill and they would carve out a little depression. And they'd ring that depression with some, some stone, not very tall, just enough. And they would bring all of their wheat and they'd throw it in that depression. And they would either take flailing things like supercharged nunchucks, if you will, and they'd beat that, that grain or they'd have a cow or they'd have a horse walk on that grain. And what it was doing was it was separating the wheat the kernels from that sheaf, that, that chaff, chaff, chaff that was around it. And then they would take a, a, a pitchfork and they would pick it up and they'd throw it up in the air and, and a, a breeze would blow and that chaff is so light it would just blow away. But the heavier wheat would fall and they'd keep doing that until no chaff was left and they could pick up the good the good wheat. The, right, the unrighteous, rather. The unrighteous is chaff. It's separated. It's, it's unstable. It has no substance. Spurgeon said that chaff was extri- intrinsically worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. Unrighteous, they're carried away with every wind of doctrine. They float. They change. They never sit anywhere long enough. They got to go here, got to go there. There's a big difference between a tree planted by the rivers of water and chaff that blows away in the wind. The unrighteous, it says, the future of them, therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. righteous." Now, let me just help you. That doesn't mean that a sinner won't stand before the Lord in judgment. That's not what that means but it means they have no weight. It was Daniel chapter 5 verse 27 where God said of King Belteshazzar, He said, you have been weighed in the balances and been found wanting. If you had had been convicted of a crime, or not, not convicted, I mean accused of a crime, and you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you didn't do it, and you even had witnesses and proof that you couldn't have done it, they said that you hit that parked car driving at, at, at you know nine o'clock at night and you knew for sure that you were in a restaurant. there were video cameras. they can see you at that time. You could stand before the judge and you could stand. You'd be respectful, but you can know this is not me. It's been falsely accused. I can stand here. But if you knew good and well, you had no alibi. You can't stand in that judgment. That's what it means there'll be a day that you and I will stand before the Lord. But I believe that you and I that have been filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name, and the righteousness of God has been imputed unto you, and I I know that right now, the judgment of God seems to be a scary moment. But I'm convinced that when you and I stand before the Lord, we're not going to be scared. We can hang, hold our head high knowing I've been redeemed by blood divine. Glory, glory, God Christ is mine. I can stand there, but someone that's unrighteous, someone that's ungodly, they'll melt in the presence of a holy God. They cannot stand. There's no weight to them. And the sinners cannot be in the congregation of the righteous. This is true in the future. Heaven, no sinners are going to be there. No sinners are going to stand there. But many times, those that are unrighteous don't even want to be around the congregation of God anyway. And then he wraps it up as we stand today. He wraps it up. He says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You, You and I, You can have peace, peace with God, peace in God, because the Lord knows your way, and He'll protect you. The Hebrew language, and I don't speak Hebrew, but just in my study, this is what I found, says that the Hebrew has it more fully. That It's not that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. He's constantly, this again, this is Spurgeon, He's constantly looking on their way. And though it may be often in the mist and darkness where you and I might not be able to see, He knows the way. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly leads to destruction. might be a broad path. It might be comfortable today. But in the end, they'll perish. And so I ask you today, which way do you want to be? Blessed or cursed? Be good for you to take your Bible tonight before you go to bed, maybe. It's only six verses. It would take you all of three minutes to read. But it'd be good for you to read it. Or wake up in the morning before you hand to work. Open your Bible up. Lord, I want to be blessed. I want to walk in the way of the righteous, not follow the way of the sinner. Could we just lift our hands for a moment? Could you just meditate on the word? Talk to him. Let him talk to you in Jesus' name.